Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 597. Start out this morning with a little justice for the whooping crane. A little background. Back in 2009, the Indiana Fish and Wildlife Service offered a $2,500 reward and worked for 18 months to catch the guys who shot an endangered whooping crane. But the sentence they handed out in a plea deal was a lot cheaper for the offenders than it was for the public. Wade Bennett of Cuyahoga, Indiana, agreed to one year of probation, court costs, and a fine of $1. The bird, known as 1702, was the most prolific in the breeding program and was migrating from Wisconsin to Florida. Fast forward to October 25th, 2016, just this past week. Dateline Beaumont, Texas. In an unprecedented decision, a federal district court judge handed down a sentence for Trey Joseph Frederick, a 19-year-old Beaumont man who admitted to shooting and killing two endangered whooping cranes. His sentence includes 200 hours of community service, most ever ordered by the court, the maximum of five years probation, in order that Frederick turn over all firearms, the rescinding of his hunting license for five years in all states, and 25, no, that's right, $25,850 in restitution to be shared among Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation and the International Crane Foundation. Quite a far cry from the $1 fine imposed for a similar offense seven years ago. Rich Belfus, president and CEO of the International Crane Foundation, said this ruling has set a powerful precedent for the future of whooping crane conservation. This was not hunting. This was an act of criminal vandalism, and we're encouraged that Judge Hawthorne treated it as such. We hope the decision will be a strong deterrent to anyone considering a similar crime. Here are some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. Seven nifty jays that aren't blue jays. National Audubon shows them to us in living color, with an emphasis on blue. More from National Audubon. An owl in mourning, a parakeet in battle, and a mud-covered flamingo are among the winning images from their Wildlife Photographer of the Year awards. And by the way, the 2016 Talking Birds photo contest is coming soon, so stay tuned. What happens to birds in hurricanes? Our Debbie Bleacher blogs about it this week. You can find our blog at TalkingBirds.com. Well, if you're a fan of our show, and we hope you are, maybe you'd like to be a Talking Birds ambassador. Like Paul down in Leetown, West Virginia. You remember Paul? He called into the show last week and won our mystery bird contest 
And he's helping to spread the word about our program. Maybe you'd like to do it, too. Takes almost no time at all. And as we say here in Boston, it's wicked easy. Just go to our website, TalkingBirds.com, and click the Contact button for details. That's the Contact button at TalkingBirds.com. No G in talking. We thank you, and the birds thank you, too. Once again, click the Contact button at TalkingBirds.com. We have a bonus state this week in our Mystery Bird Contest. It's the great state of Wisconsin. If you happen to be first to get through in our show, to our show from that state in our Mystery Bird Contest, you'll win a very special bonus prize, a pair of Nature DX binoculars by Celestron. Waterproof and fully rubber-armored, face-coated back four prisms for increased contrast and resolution, fully multi-coated optics, even close focus of six and a half feet reviewing those nearby subjects. So if you're in Wisconsin, you have to be listening there. You get to us on the show this morning, you'll win that special prize in addition to that droll Yankees feeder. You might win on our mystery bird contest, so get ready to call uh, Dairy Staters. We're about to get some bird news uh, from Texas and Illinois and Ontario, all in this morning's installment of Charlotte's Weblog, direct from Alberta, Canada, with our own Charlotte Wesselick. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning, Ray. The 23rd annual Rio Grande Birding Festival begins on November 2nd and runs until the 6th in Harlingen, Texas. One of the festival events is the American Birding Association's Family Bird Walk on Saturday the 5th from 8.30 to 11 a.m. in the Harlingen Municipal Auditorium. There's no cost and no registration, and the walk is open to all ages and experience levels. The first ever documented hybrid between a magnolia warbler and a chestnut-sided warbler was recently discovered at the Long Point Bird Observatory in Ontario, and the findings were published in the Wilson Journal of Ornithology. If you're a young birder in Illinois, the Illinois Young Birders Club is having a walk along the Illinois Beach State Park starting at 7.30 a.m. on Sunday, November 6th. The species that are expected are lingering sparrows, newly arrived winter species like northern shrikes, migrating waterfowl, and hawks. Visit IllinoisYoungBirders.org to find more information. That's all for this week, Ray. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Charlotte. We'll look for you online on your blog there at prairiebirder.com. Prairiebirder.com. Thanks again for being with us here on our show number 597. Hope you'll reach us or contact us or locate us at talkingbirds.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. Still to come on our show today, we'll catch up with our man Mike O'Connor, who's back from his Hawaii birding vacation, wedding anniversary. He'll be here bragging about all the fancy schmancy birds he saw there in Hawaii. And uh, he'll also talk about blue jays getting ready for winter. All in our Let's Ask Mike segment. Also this morning, what's up with these western hummingbirds migrating east? We'll try to find out when we welcome the Hummingbird Society's Dr. Ross Hawkins to our show this morning. And we start the hummingbird buzz by introducing today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Talking Birds is made possible in part by Celestron, a leading optics company offering binoculars and spotting scopes for birders of all levels. 
Celestron is dedicated to education and bird conservation and proudly supports many nonprofit organizations that share the same commitment. Celestron says, we care about birds and nature in our backyard as well as yours. Enhance your view with Celestron. Visit Celestron.com and discover more. Okay, let's put a couple of things together here to come up with this week's featured feathered friend. One is the fact that it's the smallest bird in North America, north of Mexico. That would pretty well suggest which family of birds we're talking about. Combine that with the identity of the instrument we're listening to, and it would appear that we've got ourselves right. The very small calliope hummingbird. How small is it? Uh, really small. It weighs about as much as a pencil, and I don't mean the mechanical kind. And it's about as long as a pencil. A golf pencil, that is. And it's long-distance traveling from well up into Canada and down to Mexico and back means it's also the smallest long-distance avian migrant in the world. The calliope hummingbird is beautiful, too, with green upper parts and, in the male of the species, long reddish-purple throat feathers. Although its scientific genus name was, until recently, Stellula, or Little Star, the bird's been reassigned to the genus Salasphorus. But that also translates to something enchanting, flame-bearer, while its species name, Calliope, means beautiful voice. An interesting choice for a tiny bird with a tiny sound. The Calliope Hummingbird, Salasphorus Calliope. Today's Talking Birds, featured feathered friend. Talking Birds is sponsored in part by Chimani, providing free outdoor mobile app travel guides to plan and navigate your journey to more than 400 national parks, monuments, and historic sites. From Acadia to Zion, go to Chimani.com. That's C-H-I-M-A-N-I.com to download your free app today. We're continuing our hummingbird theme this morning and observing that it's late October, a time when here in the east our ruby-throated hummingbirds have pretty much already headed south. But out west, it seems that some individuals that we might expect to have headed for Mexico are increasingly coming to places like New England. To try to get some idea as to why this may be so, we're welcoming Dr. Ross Hawkins, founder and director of the Sedona, Arizona-based Hummingbird Society, to join us for a few minutes here on Talking Birds. Good morning, Ross. Good morning, Ray. Great to have you, and thanks for being up early, as I know you are anyway, because you're a birder, right? I am. I'm <laughs> usually awake by 5 a.m. my time. Woo. All right. Well, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Ross, this eastward Instead of southward migration of some western hummers, especially the rufous hummingbird, seems to have been on the increase over, what, I guess the past several decades. Uh, is that measurably true? And if so, what do we know about the reasons for it? Well, it's certainly true, because even 20 years ago, when uh, a large number of rufous hummingbirds were discovered not only spending their winter in the southeastern part of the United States, but found by banding to be the same birds turning every year. So it wasn't just a fluke. Mm -hmm. They knew how to get there and knew how to get back home to the Pacific Northwest for breeding. Uh, 
But then it seems like people started leaving out their feeders, and I think that's one of the enticements that helps us see them, leaving out their feeders past the normal removal time, which in your area is probably late September, early October, mm-hmm. only to find that the doggone Rufus was everywhere. In fact, the Rufus has now been documented in every state of the Union except Hawaii. And that's understandable because it's just too far for a hummingbird to fly, even if they get fat. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that there's a reason for this, except that the Rufus is highly adaptable mm-hmm. and, and really quite the explorer. He doesn't get lost easily. He explores a lot. Mm-hmm. I have personally seen Rufus hummingbirds in the middle of the winter in the state of Delaware, Maryland, states of Delaware, Maryland, when we live there. And uh, they were surviving just fine. So maybe they have a better adaptability with their metabolism. Maybe they can withstand the cold weather better. Bob Sargent once taught me, showed me that uh, a hummingbird he was looking at was present at 9 degrees. Wow. Now, that's pretty doggone cold. But the, mm-hmm. the hummingbirds, of course, have the ability to go into a state of overnight uh, hibernation, really. We call it torpor. Mm-hmm. And they can survive temperatures that are quite cold. They just sort of turn the metabolism rate down, make it through the night, wake up in the morning, hungry as all heck, mm-hmm. and go out and find something to eat. So we don't know why this has happened, but we do know that the Rufus seems to be the vanguard, exploring places that he's never been seen before. Mm-hmm. But frankly, he may have been there before, because you know, 20 years ago, they were saying that, well, we've never had Rufus in the southeast United States. Mm-hmm. But some of the... Uh, colleges and universities went through their bird collections, and they found Rufus hummingbirds. But the ID tag said ruby throat. Mm-hmm. I guess because when they were found, they said, well, it must be a ruby throat just because we don't have anything <laughs> else here. Mm-hmm. So they may have been around here for 100 years, 200 years, and we just don't know. But we still are pretty convinced that there are more, though. Oh, no question mm-hmm. about that. And not just the Rufus. I think there was an Anna's hummingbird up in the Boston area just a few years ago. Calliope, too, as I recall. So the variety of birds is not listed, uh, limited to the Rufus alone. Mm-hmm. Some of the others are doing that. Maybe it's global warming. We don't really know. And ironically, ironically uh, maybe it seems I'm reading that uh, Rufus hummingbirds uh, up there in the northwest uh, are declining. Well, yes, but maybe that's because we're looking in the same place to document that, and maybe the Rufus are moving towards the east, for example, in British Columbia. If they're in the east, but we're still looking in the western part of that province, we would say, hmm, the number's going down. But maybe it's because we're not looking as thoroughly as we need to in the total number of hummingbirds would have to be the sum of everywhere it's found. And mm-hmm. I, I think we could document that they might be going down in one location. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean the total number has gone down. All right. So in general, we know they're moving, but we're not exactly sh- yet sure why. But maybe we'll figure it out at some point. Well, I hope so. We may just have to live with the curiosity. Mm-hmm. I would encourage anyone who sees a hummingbird from this time on in New England to please contact your local bird organization and let them know so someone could come out, document the species, and report it for everyone else to see, because there's a great deal of interest in this. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a great deal of interest, too, Ross, just in getting hummingbirds to our backyards. Uh, you probably have some tips or maybe a secret or two about doing that. 
Well, I do. First thing is, if you're in the range served by migratory birds, as you are, put your feeders out earlier than you think is necessary. Because if you wait until everyone else sees them, then these birds may have already figured out where they want to spend their, their spring and summer. So be the first one on your block to have a hummingbird feeder out. Also, the mixture with a 3 to 1 ratio of water to sugar instead of the usual 4 to 1. But that's richer in sugar. The hummingbirds will like that, and they're likely, more likely to remember your feeder over others hmm. next year and in the summer. And lastly, this is an idea that is rarely capitalized on. In the spring, when the hummingbirds migrate back to your area, the males come first. Females come week to two later. Females have in mind building a nest in a good location, finding a male that they want to be the father of their, their children, and then having a, na- a nest that's safe. You can encourage them to nest in you if you hang out nesting material. Now, we've tried a variety of the things that are commercially available, and there's a product called Hummer Helper. It's made with unprocessed cotton. It hmm. seems to be ideal. The hummingbirds love it. So when you put out your first feeders of the spring, hang a piece of this nesting material near the feeder. Then when the female comes for the first time, spots the feeder, she'll see that nesting material and think to herself, boy, you know, I could really use that for a nest, and build it near you. Mm-hmm. If, you don't, if you don't have a hummingbird nesting near you, you won't see that female for six to seven weeks because she's got to stay on the eggs and keep them warm. She has to feed them for three and a half weeks. And if that nest isn't near you, you're going to call me. As I <laughs> called every April and May, where'd my hummingbirds go? <laughs> Dr. Ross Hawkins is the Hummingbird Society's founder and executive director. Sorry to cut you off there, Ross. That's all right, Ray. No problem. We're running out of time here. You have a wonderful information-packed and beautiful website there, too. Hummingbirdsociety.org. Org. Dr. Ross Hawkins joining us from just outside of Sedona, Arizona. Ross, thank you for being on with us, and and thanks for the good work you're doing for the birds. Thank you, Ray. It's a pleasure. Coming up next here, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. If you've listened to Talking Birds over the past several weeks, you may have heard us talking about our upcoming trip to the Galapagos Islands. And guess what? The guest list is now almost full. So if you'd like to join us, and we hope you will, the time to sign up is now. We'll travel with our friends from Sunrise Birding, one of the world's finest small group touring companies. I'll be your host for the trip to this truly amazing place where we'll get up close to giant Galapagos tortoises and marine iguanas and spectacular bird species, including Darwin's famous finches, and we'll even snorkel with Galapagos penguins. We'll be led by expert local guides, and we'll cruise in comfort aboard a custom-designed first-class yacht. Sound good? Well, don't hesitate. There are just a few cabins still available. We'll visit places and see things that most other tour groups simply don't see. Get all the details right now at sunrisebirding.com. That's sunrisebirding.com. Talking Birds is made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. And, Jesse, I wonder if you could rack up that mystery bird on our CD player there, because it seems to have disappeared from our other source. Bonus prize state on the mystery bird contest if you happen to be listening in Wisconsin.
Be sure to call us because we have a special bonus prize you'll win automatically for calling in a pair of Nature DX binoculars by Celestron. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. And our regular prize, it's too nice to be called regular, but that's our typical weekly prize from Droll Yankees. This week, it's the bottoms-up feeder, perfect for goldfinches and pine siskins that can feed upside down, but not so good for less desirable visitors who can't accomplish that feat. That's our prize. The number to call, 781-837-4900. If you'd like to participate with a guest or the definitive uh, answer to our mystery bird ID, call us as soon as you can, 781-837-4900. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. Yeah, it really is a bird. It's our mystery bird, a large stocky diver of northern sea coasts with a wedge-shaped head and long bill. The male is bold black and white with a little bit of green. The female is brown with black barring. Our bird dives to the seafloor to take prey like mollusks and crustaceans and sea urchins. That would be our mystery bird and some clues there in that beautiful Droll Yankees feeder prize, that bottoms-up feeder. Great for getting those pine siskins and lots of other birds to your backyard. Take a guess or tell us what it is. Because no uh, correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we'd like to ask you to listen carefully to the following important message. And then it's Let's Ask Mike in just one minute. If you've never tried the coffee we here at Talkin' Birds drink and recommend Birds and Beans, here's a holiday season offer you shouldn't refuse. You get a dozen 12-ounce bags of the delicious bird-friendly coffee recommended by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And it includes two bags of wood thrush breakfast roast, two American Red Start light roast, three scarlet tanager French roast, three chestnut-sided warbler medium roast, and two Baltimore Oriole French roast decaf, all ground and ready to brew or whole bean if you prefer. Regular cost $158.70, now just $120. A savings of 25% on birds and beans. Certified shade-grown USDA organic and fair trade coffee. It's a great deal. It's great coffee, and you'll be doing your part to help save the tropical forests on which so many of our birds depend. Please don't miss out on this limited-time offer. Go to birdsandbeans.com right now to place your order. That's birdsandbeans.com. And now, fresh from his fancy schmancy Hawaiian birding vacation, here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the former executive vice president of the Don Ho Fan Club, the old honey creeper himself, Mike Tiny Bubbles O'Connor. Good morning, Mike. You know, it's a long time since I've been called Tiny Bubbles. Yeah, we wanted to bring it back. We thought this was the the perfect time. Now that you finally made it, uh, I guess you had quite an arduous journey coming back from Hawaii. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, you know, now I know why the birds have so much trouble populating Hawaii. It's a long, stinking way to get out there. (laughs) Well, you saw lots of interesting birds, and I guess you really kind of went on a trek to find the EEV, and I know you found it because we have pictures uh, on our Facebook page taken by you, or at least Uh, allegedly so. Yeah, allegedly. No, and believe it or not, I, I actually took them this time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, well, yeah, it was an anniversary trip. My wife wanted to go to Hawaii, and I said no. And then I said, Yeah, okay, sure. There'll be birds there, and and you know, and sadly, most of the birds you see in Hawaii are limited, and they're mostly introduced. 
but some of them are interesting. So if you kind of get the past the fact that they're introduced, you can kind of enjoy them. Mm-hmm. But they do have some very specific uh, endemic birds, honey creepers, which strangely enough evolved from finches. Mm-hmm. They think perhaps the uh, common rose finch from Europe, which sometimes has these crazy eruptions. You know, sometimes we get siskins and red poles, mm-hmm. and these birds sometimes erupt and. They're theorizing that one time they just flew crazy across the Pacific and thousands of them perhaps landed in Hawaii, probably the first land birds or the first forest birds to ever go there. And, and then over the centuries, they evolved to the plants. And now they're, they're crazily diverse. And the, the most unusual one, the Eevee or the um, scarlet honeycreeper, as you can see it in all the books, it's bright red, looks like a tanager with a big orange hooked bill. And that's the one I wanted to see, and I, I checked out for, in uh, Kauai, kind of struck out, and then I went to the Big Island and struck out there. But up in uh, Maui, um, and if anybody wants to go, this is the place I, I had the best luck, is Maui, you go up to Haleakala National Park, which is, you know, you should do anyways. On the way up, we saw hunting right during the day at noontime, hunting short-eared owls, which is a, a, a native bird, I believe it or not. And, and then you go to this... Hosmer Campground and a short little nature trail overlooks this valley, and it was just a bunch of these birds, these EEVs, which is you know kind of fun to say, and and they were apparently either the, the sexes look alike, so I couldn't tell what was going on, but they were chasing each other, so they're either males battling or females, uh, uh, couples you know doing a courtship thing, but it was quite a show, and it was rainy and nasty, and all of a sudden the fog lifted, and all these birds popped up, and it was, it was, it was quite a cool experience. Hmm. And um, yeah, I would I would recommend anybody going to Hawaii put that on the calendar because that's there's some cool birds there. But this is to me it was the coolest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the EEV. EEV. And if you can get past the trip home, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it only took me three days. You'll be all right. Yeah, you would have a great experience. Yeah. We don't have time to talk about all the threats that uh, birds there are facing, including avian malaria associated with climate change, but uh, we want to encourage people to look up Hawaiian birds and find out about that, because it's really something worth Yeah, the, the, the birds that are left, and, and more birds have gone extinct in, in Hawaii than in, in any place, mm-hmm. you know, in, in this country, um, they're getting whacked by this avian malaria, which is, you know, caused by mosquitoes, and most mm-hmm. birds have evolved to deal with it, so it doesn't bother the, you know, birds on the continents, but these birds, these island birds, have not evolved to it, and as things get warmer, the birds are going higher up in the mountains mm-hmm. to avoid the mosquitoes, in theory, and then, uh, but the mosquitoes, as things get warmer, are following them up there, so it's, it's not good, but it's still pretty. Yes, indeed. We don't have time to talk about blue jays either. We plan that, but we'll do it next week, right? That, well, let's do that. Don't, don't forget about the blue jays. Blue jays hoarding seeds for the winter. Mike, thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds great, Ray. Thanks. We're back here at the Mystery Bird Contest. Uh, uh, 781-837-4900 is the number. Can we play the sound of our mystery bird again? Oh. Not that it's the most lovely sound to hear, but... <laughs> a large, stocky diver of northern seacoasts with a wedge-shaped head and long bill. The male is bold, black and white, with a little bit of green. Uh, the female, brown, with black barring. Our bird dives to the sea fo- floor to take prey like mollusks and sea urchins and stuff like that. 781-837-4900. Greg is somewhere in Michigan. Good morning, Greg. Hello, Greg. Going once, going twice. Going twice. Oh. Here I am. <laughs> Sorry. Good timing. Yeah. Hi, Greg. Hi. Whereabouts uh, in Michigan? 
I'm in northern lower Michigan, Houghton Lake. Houghton Lake. Okay, yep. very good. Well, we were up there in the eastern upper peninsula a few weeks ago. Kind of away yes. from you, I guess. Yep, not too far. Actually, what about we talked it? about it live on the phone ourselves. Oh, right. Okay. Yep. Right, indeed. So, okay. So what about our mystery bird, Greg? Well, in uh, while I was listening, I can I change my guess from what I told the man on the phone? I think you can. I would guess a common eider. I think that was a good choice. Boy, you made it there on the, you know, the second. You almost didn't get on there. <laughs> and then you change your guess. Skillfully done, Greg. Common eider is correct. And uh, guess what? We're out of time, so stay on the line. Greg, we'll get your address and send you that uh, droll Yankees feeder. Thank you. Okay, thanks. And thanks to Chuck somewhere in Wisconsin calling in. Sorry we didn't get to your call, Chuck. Hope you'll try us next week. We are out of time. The executive producer of Talking Birds is Mark Duffield. Our associate producer is Debbie Bleacher. I'm Ray Brown. Thanks for being with us. Please visit us at TalkingBirds.com. And uh, also check out our Facebook page. And you can see those EVs, those photos taken by Mike O'Connor of that beautiful scarlet honey creeper uh, in Hawaii. I'm Ray Brown. We'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.